those of you who want to pray, for those of you who feel concerned about what's going on in our nation, in our world, uh, we just want to pray uh, for, for unity, want to pray for wisdom, for the leadership of our nation. Um, and, um, you know, there's been too many, you know, divisions and everything that's been happening in our country uh, just this last one and a half year. And uh, it's probably been going on before that, but we just want to pray because we really believe that when we pray, God is going to hear. When we pray in agreement, touching anything, the Lord's going to provide. The Lord's going to pave a way. So warmly invited to join us. It's um, uh, Saturday. Uh, sorry, Tuesday night starts at 8 o'clock. Uh, doors will be open at, eight, at 7.45. Um, there's a, you actually have to register if you're on Facebook, uh, social media. You can find um, the link um, in, on my accounts, basically, uh, on probably the last post or whatever. Um, if you can't find it, no problem. Just show up and make sure you get registered at the night here. But it's going to be a powerful night. That's what I know for sure. Uh, so uh, be there. Right, let's pray together. Let's pray in agreement together and believe God for miracles. Hey, I'm going to get into the message. And, um, you know, usually what, I, what, what happens when I prepare a message, I, you know, it's, it's kind of... Uh, I'm, I'm wrestling with the topic, with the scriptures and everything that I feel needs to be part of this for sometimes, you know, up to two, three weeks, you know, and it kind of comes together and then, you know, even at the last moment it can change. So, you know, even though Willem heard the message in the first service, it may be, turn out to be a totally different message, this service. Maybe not. I don't know. It could happen. It has happened before. But... Um, how many you know that expression YOLO, you only live once? How many of you have heard that? Yeah? Few of you have heard that. Which means, yeah, you only live once. And this is basically one of the um, mantras in pop culture today. Uh, it's like, hey, you live once anyway. Just live it to the max. Do whatever you want to do. Just ruin your life, basically. And, and, you know, it doesn't matter anyway because, you know, we're all going to die. <laughs> the whole world's going to fall apart anyway right? So that's really what YOLO is about. There's some truth to it because you only do live once. And, and it's up to us to decide on this side of eternity whether we want to live eternity with God, right? And so we can surrender our lives to Jesus. And, and, and then when we actually surrender our lives to King Jesus, the, the life that we have right now becomes eternal life, obviously without the pain and the suffering and the heartache and um, the sickness and, and stuff that we can still experience on this side of eternity, it's going to be all made new, but it's the life we have right now as, as children of God that will, you know, basically persist for eternity. That's one thing to look at it. There's another way to look at it and actually to say like, hey, well, yes, there's one life you have right here and it's going to end. There's going to be, a, you know, there's, you know, some moment you're going to die and then you have a new life, a totally renewed life from the moment you basically um, die in this life and are resurrected to new life. There's two ways to look at it. I don't really care how you look at it, but the fact is we have to steward the life we have on this side of eternity well. And that's what this whole sermon series is about. Today is the last one in the series, One Life. You know, we have one life. We, the Lord gave us one life, and we need to live it in a way that really reflects him well. That really, um, that really, you know, we really represent him well through our life. And that, um, that we actually, you know, do everything we can to, to make 
God's name great in, in our life today. And it's all about living a life that's committed, that's fully committed to him. It's like when you look at the word of God, when you look at the Bible, there's really no way to live a life that's like half-hearted. That is like, well, you know, I kind of serve God, you know, on Sunday, you know, that one hour in church, and then the rest of life I do what I, the rest of my week I do what I want. There's really no place for that in Scripture. You know, basically when you look at Scripture, when you look at Scripture the way it's supposed to be read, it's all about being a radical follower of Jesus, to really be on fire for God, to really live a life that is totally given over to him. That's really what it's about. And I had to think of the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Apostle Paul is, is probably one of the primary, you know, writers of the New Testament. You know, a, a big part of the New Testament came from him. Uh, he, he was this great uh, Jewish thinker who started following Jesus at some point in his life. But you, but you got to understand that the Apostle Paul, he was, he was a radical guy beforehand. Uh, he did everything he could to actually persecute Christians, to persecute people who are following Jesus as the Messiah. He didn't want to have anything to do with them. He even went so far that he traveled from Jerusalem all the way uh, to, uh, to Damascus, the city of Damascus, to persecute Christians and make sure that they would um, basically disavow their loyalty to Jesus. That was his plan. And he was pretty successful at it. You know, he actually had some people put to death, and there's so, so many other things. But on his way to Damascus, the Lord appears to him in a, in a, basically in a vision. He's like, he sees Jesus. You know, there are some paintings about the, the scene that happened here in Scripture. And, um, you know, you often see um, Paul riding on a horse. That's, to be honest, that's nowhere in Scripture. He wasn't, it doesn't even say he was, re, uh, was riding a, a mule or a, or a donkey or anything like that. No, it just said that he was there going from Jerusalem to Damascus. So Paul's on his way, has an encounter with Jesus, and it turns his life upside down. It's, it's like he's, he's a changed man. He was the most radical, most vocal persecutor of the church up to that moment. And then from that moment onwards... He became the most radical uh, promoter of the Christian faith. That's really what happened. I mean, God can do miracles in people's lives. When you see the story of Paul, man, people that are like, he's almost like an IS terrorist. But the Lord, you know, appears to him and his life changes. If, if, if God can do it with Paul, he could do it with your friend or your colleague or whoever else in your life that, that you think can never be, you know, it, you know if, that can really not never become a Christian, of course God can do it. Of, of course the Lord can appear to them as well. If he did it to Paul, he could do it to that person as well. So I want to go with you to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, because those are the words of Paul um, that show you how radical he was in following Jesus. But let's first pray. God, we come to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the great example of the Apostle Paul and how you changed his life around, Lord. And God, we, we pray, Lord, that whatever we're, we're going to read today, that it will sink deeply in our hearts and that it will change our lives as well and, and make us promoters of the Christian faith, of the message of Jesus, of the gospel as well in our day and age. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now here's Paul talking. For the love of Christ controls us. 
Because we have concluded this, that therefore all have died. And he, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. There's some powerful words right here. He says, you know, Jesus died for all. Basically, he gave his life as an offering for you and me, for all of humanity. And because Jesus gave his life as an offering, we basically give back our lives to him. It's our lives in return for his life. There's this great exchange happening right here. His death was a sacrifice for us. Our lives are a sacrifice for him. He died so that we may live in him and through him and for him. I mean, there's no middle ground. There's no, you know, being a Sunday Christian right here. We give our whole life to him, to Jesus. In Jesus' own words, Luke 9, verse 23 and 24, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, that, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. In other words, it's better to lose your life right now and to actually gain it than to think you have your life and you can hold on to your life and to lose it anyway. It's better to make the decision right now because you're going to lose your life anyway if you don't give it to him fully. It's interesting to see the words that the Apostle Paul is using right here. I mean, it starts out with, you know, you got to deny yourself. In other words, you got to disown yourself. You got to refuse. You got to say no to your flesh. You got to say no to your old nature, to the things that you used to do. I know, but every, every January we start the year with fasting. How many of you are looking forward to that? Okay, those are the spiritual people right here. People like me who are not so spiritual, hate it because my flesh says, I want food. I need food. And if I'm not getting it, I start to feel cold. I mean, it's the worst time of the year to fast, the month of January, right? Because it's always too cold and you're getting even colder. And then, you know, I'm always thinking, why don't we do this in in summer? But then I'm like, hey, we're going to miss out on those barbecues. It's not a good choice either, so let's keep it in January then, right? (laughs) But denying yourself, you know, fasting is a great way to to deny your your flesh the food that you so much want to have. I know, also, you know, I I I used to be a smoker. That's a long time ago. That wasn't like last month or something. That was a long time ago, all right? Hear me. I don't want this to be in the, you know, newspaper, Pastor Sebastian smoking cigarettes or anything. No, no, no. This is 1995. This is, a, you know, some of you weren't even born. And, and I remember, you know, when you, you know, I was, I just gave my life to Christ. I knew that, you know, smoking probably wasn't, wasn't the best thing to do. It's not like you're losing your salvation over it. Don't get me wrong here, but it, it's, it's, it's just not a good thing to do. It's like you're destroying your body, right? But when you stop it, when you stop smoking, 
you're denying yourself something, right? You're denying the, the you know, all that stuff that's in that cigarette, the nicotine and all that, that, that stuff that your body so craves for. You're denying yourself something. And this goes even further when Jesus says deny yourself. Just all these things from your past life, all these things that you think are so important, just move them to the side and follow me. That's what Jesus is saying. Second thing he says is take up your cross daily. Picking up a cross is a, is a painful thing. I mean, Jesus, he, 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 he took on his cross. You know, he had to walk all the way to, you know, Golgotha, Mount Calvary, put the cross on his back. You know, you could imagine with all the, you know, um, splinters. Same word. Thank you very much, Chris. You can imagine how rough this must have felt. And then, you know, arriving at Mount Calvary, he was nailed to the cross. It's a painful experience that Jesus had to go through. So when Jesus says, you know, pick up your cross, it's a painful experience. We can expect this to be a painful experience as well. It is, again, it's saying no to your flesh. It's saying no to, to you being on the throne of your life. It's a painful thing. Pick up your cross. He doesn't even just say pick up your cross. He says pick up your cross daily. It means like every morning when you wake up, it's like it's a deliberate thing you have to do. It's like, Lord, I choose to follow you today. I pick up my cross today. I, wanna, I, I don't want to live for me. I want to live for you and for your glory. Pick up your cross daily and follow him. Follow him wherever he wants you to go. I don't know about you, but I want to go my own way. That's what my flesh tells me to do. I want to do what I want to do. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. Get behind me. Follow me. I got way better plans for you than you have for yourself. Way better plans. So just trust me. Just trust me on this one. Follow me. That's pretty radical stuff. There is no way we could, we could say we follow Jesus, we could say we were, we're disciples of him without it affecting our whole life. Being a Christian means it changes everything. You no longer live for yourself, you live for him who died for you and who rose again on the third day. There's no alternative really, to be honest. And we could say, well, I'd rather not want this. It's too painful, it's too radical, it's too... You can say it, but like Jesus said, if you don't lose it now anyway, you're going to lose it anyway. It's better just to say right now, Lord, here's my life. I don't want to be at the throne. I don't want to sit on the throne of my life anymore. I want Jesus to sit on the throne of my life. There's not really an alternative. Live your life as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, radically, or don't do it at all. It's either hot or cold. There's nothing in between, right? The problem is, when you follow Jesus, it means that, you f- that, that every aspect of your life, you surrender it to him. Every single aspect. That's where it's starting to hurt just a little bit more. (laughs) 
came to church, you wanted to hear an encouraging message. Well, I got to encourage you. There's a lot of encouragement from this message, actually. There's a big test for all of us, especially for us living in the rich Western world. Who really is our God? Who really is our Lord? In fact, worldly possessions often get in the way of us going, being all in and all out disciples for Jesus. I just want to go with you to a story that Jesus, that, that actually, um, it's more than a story. It's actually something that happened in Jesus' life. He had this encounter with this young man. Uh, we call him the rich young ruler because some of the versions of the story in, in, in some of the Gospels, they, that's how they f- frame it, you know. And I want to read Mark chapter 10, verse 17 and following. It says this. And as he was setting out on his journey, this Jesus here, a man ran up to him and he knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. This is interesting. I always wondered about this one. So is Jesus saying that he's not God here? No, I don't think so. I'm 100% convinced based based on both Old Testament and New Testament, that Jesus truly is the Son of God. He truly is God himself. And he's making a point right here that, hey, yes, you're calling me good, but there's only one person who's good, and that's God. And yes, I am God. I'm standing right here before you, young man. I'm God. So actually, you got, it, you got this one right. But he's brought it in such a way so... This young man could think through this. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He's basically repeating some of the Ten Commandments. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come Follow me. Again, the call to follow Jesus. A radical following of him. The cross that this young man had to bear was to actually get rid of his possessions because his possessions got in the way of serving God. His possessions got in the way of trusting God with all his heart. Instead of trusting in in, in Yahweh, the God of Israel, this man was a Jewish young man, He put his trust in his bank accounts, if they had those in those days. He put his trust in, you know, his, you know, the stock market, in his insurance plans, all these different things that you could build your trust on. That's what he was putting his trust on. And and, and Jesus is saying to him, hey, put all these things aside and start trusting me with all your heart. Start putting me first in all your heart. Follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Story kind of ends on a low note here. We're like, man, that's kind of a sad story. I do think that this young man that is presented in the, in the Gospel of Mark is actually the writer of this gospel, that he's actually John Mark and actually comes around later on in the story. I could, I could explain why I think that, but we don't have time to get into that detail. But 
I'm, I'm 100% sure that this man, that it turned out all right for him. Just not at this moment yet. He wasn't ready to give it all up for Jesus. Story continues, verse 23. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at, this, at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Humanly speaking, there's no way this young man would ever fully trust Jesus, fully put him first in his life. But when God gives you the grace to do it, to put it aside, and, and, and to no longer worry about those financial securities and all these other things, but to just fully focus on Jesus and put him first, it's actually possible. You know, he, I love the comparison Jesus makes here with the camel going through the eye of a needle. And obviously, this is a hyperbole, which means like the camel is huge. The, um, the eye of a needle is extremely small. Of course, this is impossible. There have been different um, biblical commentators. Some of them have said, well, there's actually, there was actually a gate to the city of Jerusalem that's called the eye of a needle. And then there's other biblical scholars that have said, well, actually, that's not true. So I'm going to leave that in the middle. If, if that's okay with you. The point is clear. With men, it is impossible. With God, it is possible. God is able to draw all of us in, whether we're rich or poor. And in fact, you know, when I'm looking at the story right here, I mean, we're thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me. This rich young ruler, I mean, this guy must have had multiple millions by the time, you know, he, he came to Jesus. And I'm not like that. I, I, I live on welfare or I, you know, have... I don't even have 500 euro in the bank. This doesn't apply to me. I actually think it, it applies to us all here in the West. Yes, maybe we're struggling financially. Maybe we're struggling because, you know, the prices of everything is going up. I mean, diesel went through, one, what is it, 160? Gasoline through 2 euro at some, at some point. It's like, man, this is expensive. It's getting expensive. I'm glad one of our cars at least is electric. And the prices are locked in for the next three years, praise God. <laughs> but we're, we live in, in you know, we're, we're, we're living in this, we're, we're in a privileged country right here. You know, our, we're, we're probably part of the 7% most rich people, 7% of the, mo- the richest people in the world when you live in the Netherlands. So this does apply to us, even if we don't feel it even if it feels like differently, we're, we're not wealthy or anything like it. That's right. But it is hard for people that have all these security things happening around us to put our trust fully in Jesus, to put him first in our lives. But with God, it's possible. That's what he says. Something else that Jesus said is in Matthew six twenty four, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the, to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That's a radical statement, again, by Jesus. You cannot serve God and money. 
So I can't have money in my bank accounts and, and, and say that I serve God? No, that's not what it's saying. In fact, you know, sometimes we misquote scripture and we say, well, money is the root of all evil. That's what some people say. It's not true. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. When we love money more than we love God, we're in trouble. But when we love God more than all our finances, all our security, all everything else that we have around us, we're in a good spot. Here, you cannot both love God and money. You know, put the scripture back up, if you can, please. Um, you, you cannot serve God and money. Actually, in the, in the Greek, it uses this odd word. It says mammon, which is a, uh, I think it's a Syrian term. And it kind of got into the, the scripture right here. And mammon is actually like a, it's almost like an idol. It's like putting your full trust in, in this one idol. And, and, and we cannot do that. We cannot, you know, say we, we serve God and we serve mammon at the same time. We got to make a decision here. We cannot be controlled by money. We can't have divided loyalties in the kingdom of God. We either serve God, we either serve Yahweh, we either serve Jesus, or we serve other stuff. It's either or. It's not both end right here. And that is the thing that we have to wake up to here in the Western world. That it's either or. Your loyalties in the kingdom of God cannot be divided. You need to be fully committed to Jesus. We all need to be fully committed to Jesus in our lives. That's why we talk about tithing here at Celebration Church. It's a, I don't know. It's like, ooh. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but you're like, <laughs> it's like good timing, good timing. No. Like tithing, we talk about that. It's not because we want your money, but it's a biblical principle. Because when you set aside the first and the best of what, what, what the Lord basically gives to you because you're a steward of, of everything that you own in the first place. The gifts and talents that you have are not your own gifts and talents. It's what God has given to you. Your, your opportunity to make money is also something, you know, your strength, your energy and everything else, your smart ideas are things that the Lord has given to you. So you give it back to the Lord. You know, even before the law came, this was a principle that was already there. You know, Mel- uh, Abraham, who, who brought a tithe of everything that he had to Melchizedek. Even earlier than that in Scripture, it is a biblical principle of the first fruit, of giving the first and the best we have back to God. Why? Because tithing is a demonstration that we put God first in our finances. It is a demonstration. It's like, Lord... I trust you more with my finances than the bank. How <laughs> I many you know the banks are not even giving interest anymore? So it's a way better return on investment, inter- eternal investment to actually give back to the Lord. Because I really believe, and this is something that my wife and I um, have experienced in our own lives, and I know many of you have done, have experienced this as well, that once you start tithing, once you start giving back to the Lord, He actually takes care for you. He takes care of your finances. doesn't mean that you always will have like, you know, like when I give 10 euro, he's going to give me 100 euro in return. God is not a slot machine, right? 
But he does stick up for you. He does look out for you when you put him first in your finances. That's all we're, we're trying to say. That's all we're trying to say here. Demonstrate that Jesus really is king over this part of your life. You know, I, I, last week, you know, it's like I got the I got the jack I had the jackpot last week. I had to talk about sex. If you weren't here, you got to look it up. <laughs> it's on YouTube. Um, and this week, I'm talking about money. It's like the two difficult topics, right? Thank you so much, team. You know, I'll, no, no worries. I actually placed myself on the on the on the calendar for the difficult topic. I like doing these, you know. I remember a friend, a pastor friend, and, and he pastors a, a church, I think it was in Switzerland or some, somewhere. But he had a lot of young people there. And he said this, 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 this interesting statement. You know, when young people come to the Lord, when they get saved, when they repent, you know, basically everything in their lives, they give it over to him, except for two things. That those come last. Their underwear and their wallet. Because those things are so close to our hearts, our sex life, close to our financial life, that it's sometimes so hard to give it up and to give it to the Lord and to trust the Lord that He has a better way for us. But He's calling us also with those difficult areas sex and money to also trust him fully and to say Lord here's my sex life here's my financial life here's my bank account here's my whatever cryptocurrency <laughs> that wasn't supposed to be a joke but I'm glad you're laughing <laughs> now I'm laughing oh man <laughs> it's true You know, when Jesus is Lord over our lives, he's Lord over every single corner of our lives, right? And that is really, you know, our, our desire is to actually help you get to that place. To get to the place of total surrender to, to the Lord. You know, I, I remember about two years ago, this is, no, this is actually two and a half years ago, I was in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, that's where one of our uh, Celebration Church locations is. And there's a re revival going on. And amazing things are happening. Uh, God is moving in a powerful way. And we were supposed to, Vince was with me on this one. And uh, we we're supposed to go to this conference. And um, in the morning, before, before anything even happened, it's like the Lord speaks to me. And he reminds me of this story that Jesus told. There's actually just one verse in scripture, Matthew 13, 44. You can put it up on the scripture, on the, on the screen. Um, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. And the Lord said to me, you're the man. You are that man. It applies to you. But I believe it doesn't only apply to me, it applies to all of us in this room. How valuable is the kingdom of God to you? How valuable is the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of Jesus and his kingdom to you and to me? Are we willing to lay everything aside? Are we willing to be just like this man who, who wants to buy this piece of property, goes, inspects it, finds a treasure in the ground, covers it back up, sells everything he has, and buys the land? 
You and I were called to be that man. You and I were called to be that radical. Because you know, the gospel of the kingdom is the only thing in the world that can change the world. The only thing that can change the mess we are in globally is like Corona. <laughs> you know what the word means? It means crown. Who's our king? A virus or anything else that happens in society or is Jesus our king? Right? And you made the right choice to be here today. I really believe that because I believe that's a demonstration also that, you know, in spite of everything that's happening, in spite of all the unrest, in spite of the fear that's, that some of us have, we're going to the Lord's house. We're going to the place where he decides to dwell among us when we praise his name. And yes, there's always a risk. I, I can't tell you that there's no risk, right? But hey, it's worth taking. Because it's important to experience the presence of Almighty God together. It's, it's important that we get to the place where the kingdom of God is manifested, which is in the house of God. Yeah? So that's why we're here. We found the treasure. And we're willing to sell everything that we have for the kingdom. For the kingdom. Because if it can change your life, if it can change my life, it can change the life of your friend can change the life of your colleague, your neighbor, anybody else who is far away from the Lord at this moment. It has the, it's the only power that can change things. You know, riots, Rotterdam, nothing will, will change that sort of stuff. The only thing that will change what's going on is King Jesus living in people's hearts, right? For everyone and anyone. He needs to be king. He needs to be Lord of, of our lives. It's the gospel, the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. Maybe we could all stand in the presence of the Lord. The worship team can get back up on the platform. All I'm trying to say today is that the Lord's calling us to, to leave everything behind, to set everything aside that is not supposed to be number one in our lives, that's not supposed to be, that's not supposed to have the life, uh, the, the, the place in our lives that it's having at the moment. We surrender it all. We place Jesus first. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, Seek first. Everybody says, seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Jesus said this in the context of, you know, the Gentiles and people that are running around like crazy people uh, because they want to get this bit of security. They want to make sure they have everything they need for themselves. He says, no, 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 don't worry about these things. Don't worry about these things. I'm, I'm taking care of you. God is taking care of you. Put Jesus first. Seek his kingdom first. And his righteousness. What's righteousness? It's his right ways. His righteous ways. I mean, if the world needs something, now more than anything else, with all the corruption, everything else that's going on around us, it's God's righteous ways. 
And we can pray for that. You know, that's what we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer. You know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we got to pray for the kingdom to come, for the kingdom to be manifested. But it starts out with the house of God. It starts out, you know, with us as God's family gathering together, living out according to His right ways. And we represent Him to the world around us. So that the, the, His righteous ways will become visible in the world around us. That's what God wants. That's what Jesus wants. But we need each other. We need to be the family of God. Filled with the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. Driven by the Spirit. Into those dark places in the world around us. So that those that have no hope will see the hope that is in you. And it only happens when our lives are fully surrendered. So let's, let's pray. Father, we come to you at this moment. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that your spirit wants to dwell in us. Your love wants to be, you want you to pour out your love in our hearts, a love that casts out every fear, Lord. And God, there's so many things to be fearful of, but we don't have to be afraid because you are with us, Lord. You are in us by your Holy Spirit. And your son died for us on the cross. and He's now seated at the right hand of glory. He's the king and he's coming back, Lord. And we thank you, God, that Jesus is coming back, that he'll put everything right that is wrong at this moment. And But God, we want to work for you. We want to want to not only pray, we want to see your righteous ways become manifested in the world around us, Lord. But Jesus, help us to put you first in every area of our lives, whether it be our sex life, whether it be our financial life, whether it be our relationships, our careers, whatever, God, we just want to lay it aside and give it back to you, God, and make you the number one person in our lives. We crown you as King, Jesus. We crown you as our King in our lives, in our families, in this church, so that you can become visible in the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody says, amen. Let's give the Lord some praise.